I know what you're thinking. Man, why do we have to do an ad read? My ears are glued to this episode. I hope they're as glued to this episode as my toes are to my Zero Shoes. Go to ZeroShoes.com right now to get what we're talking about. Danny, Dean, and I all wear these shoes on a regular basis, and I can't go back. Sounds like an ad read, I know, but I promise you, it's not. They're the best shoes I've ever worn, hands down. I cannot go back to Nike's. If Nike wants to sue me for saying that, go ahead. I don't have much money. But what I do have are my zero shoes. <laughs> zero money, but I have zero shoes. X-E-R-O shoes.com right now. Browse. And the best part, they're affordable. You'll never go back. The CEO is one of the best guys I've ever met in my life. And, uh... He's changing the game. Don't believe me? Just ask one of our many satisfied clients, Ben Patrick, a.k.a. Knees Over Toes Guy. That's right. The one, the only. He wears them every day in his videos. Because he knows what's up. Now back to the podcast. It's been a long time since the cappuccino was fashionable. We go to one of those uh, cappuccino places. Cappuccino. Practice situational awareness next time you're at the gas station. So this is episode 133. We have a very special guest, um, a man of many talents, uh, clearly a, a cake maker now, a cake maker, a sprinter, a stand-up comedian for a decade, mm-hmm. and now someone who's dabbling in feet first. And dabbling. Do, and do his, dabbling. Own, his own foot fetish. <laughs> He's got a little foot fetish that would make Quentin Tarantino come in his pants. Steven Sashin, everybody, from Zero Shoes. <laughs> That's yeah. the greatest greatest intro ever. The um, if, if you I, want, he can send that over to you, and then you can just use it anytime you're going on a show. I I I will definitely not do that. I appreciate it. The um, uh, I don't know if dabbling is the right word when I'm doing you know 12 to 16 hour days for the last 12 years building the fastest growing footwear business in the world. But I know what you're saying. No, but that's, uh, that's my, my grandfather. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. Talk about 12 to 16 hours, and when people would say things to him like, uh, "Hey." Isn't it great? You can like, you know, set your own hours. And he said, yeah, man. He said, it is. It is great. You can work whatever 16 hours out of the day you want. That's right. My, my version is we had friends who, when we started this, would say, oh, my God, you have your own business. That must be so fun. It's like, yeah, you've never done this before. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, incredibly satisfying, incredibly important. We're incredibly grateful. Um, but and, and occasionally there's some really, really fun things like Chris McDougall, the guy who wrote Born to Run, just said it, it, he's got a new book coming out, Born to Run 2, and just let us know that we're in that book. Not only are we in there a number of times, we're mentioned as his favorite minimalist footwear. Oh, is, there that we go. Great That's, a big, That's so a, that big was, yeah. That's yeah, a big win. That's a big win. That's a good book. So, first book is amazing. So it's going to yeah, be great. The first book changed the world. Yeah. Yeah, I read it. And yeah. so, I mean, that's, if that doesn't validify it completely, I don't know what does. Barefoot Ted. That's, what I, that's all barefoot I remember. Ted. Is barefoot now, Ted. I loved it, man. I read it. It actually, I changed the way I do a lot of shit after I read that book. Um, I kind of believe in that type of thing anyway. And uh, to a certain degree, I just think like more natural is better. Like logically, it doesn't make sense that humans would have to like wear something on your feet. Like your feet are a, a faulty design. Like that doesn't make that's any it. sense. Right. This, is, this is actually a line one of our sales guys has. He goes, big shoe companies are trying to convince you there's something wrong, in, intrinsically wrong with your feet. We're just trying to let you have the experience of discovering natural strength. And that's it. That's it. It's, and, I mean, and, yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. It, people forget that for 99.99% of human history, 
all footwear, which is something to cover the bottom of your foot, something to hold that on your foot, and maybe some insulation. We're not the intervention. The intervention is the modern athletic shoe for which there is zero evidence that it provides any benefits. And yeah, by zero you know, evidence in any, I mean zero in any. I, I picked up uh, the, the book, uh, Phil Knight's Shoe Dog. Uh-huh. And what I did is I just, I, I bought a copy and I just put it straight in the shredder. <laughs> You know, because fuck that guy and everything he's been doing to try and ruin people. Well, I'll tell you some, I'll tell you a couple of things. Thing number one, um, that book leaves out a lot of the gory details, both like business gory details and, you know, very interesting Asian hooker gory details. Um, and then, um, I mean, I'm not saying that he ever picked up an Asian hooker. I'm just saying it leaves out gory details about things that include Asian hookers. Um, the footwear industry in the 70s and 80s was just... Holy moly. Um, the other thing it leaves out is something that a, a guy who I know who worked with Phil and who actually worked with Bill Bowerman for years directly said, um, and that is the design of the modern athletic shoe, this elevated heel motion control thing. I don't understand why it's got a pointy toe box. There's, that makes no sense. No, but, that's not how feet look. No, but, uh, and if they do, they're not supposed to. But this whole elevated heel padded thing, the way it happened was Bowerman was getting new runners uh, showing up at, at, to be on the track with him. And he was sharing a building with some orthopedic podiatrists or maybe sports podiatrists, I can never remember. And he said, I'm getting these guys getting Achilles tendonitis. What do you recommend? And the doctor said, well, clearly they've been wearing high heel dress shoes. And so their Achilles have shortened. So you need to make a high heel running shoe, like put a wedge of foam in there. Well, first of all, if they were wearing high heel dress shoes, what does that have to do with running and proper running form? But more right. importantly, you know, they did this wedge thing, sold a bunch of shoes, which in the footwear world, if something starts to sell, everyone copies it because they're terrified they're never going to sell anything. Um, the, one of the greatest running coaches of all time, Arthur Lydiard from New Zealand, more world champions and Olympic champions than anyone else, especially per capita. Um, he said to Bowerman, those shoes are going to kill people. And Bowerman's response was, we're selling a shitload of them. So right. here's the kicker. One of these docs 30 years later is at a track meet with a guy that I know. And the, my, my friend says to him, you know, your idea, this elevated heel padded thing um, has become ubiquitous. All footwear is using it now. What do you think about that? And the guy says, <clears throat> biggest mistake we ever made. Yeah. Hey, at least someone. Dude, and also it. the toe, like the toes go up also. Like why well, do I want, the my, reason, well, why the, I want my toes floating off the ground? No, no, but there's a reason for that. The reason that there's this thing called toe spring, which which uh, stretches your tendons in a way that's not good and doesn't let your toes bend down the way they're supposed to. Yeah, fuck. You're kind of squatting those like it's terrible. No, it's horrible. But they have to do it because the shoe is so stiff that if they made it flat, you'd be just slapping the ground like this. <laughs> so they just make it so that it can approximate what your foot would do, but it's actually not letting your foot do what your foot would normally do. So basically- that That, that, that right there, that kind of sums up the whole- like modern athletic shoe type of a thing, right? Is like they're designed in order to not let your foot do what it wants to do. It's actually weirder and worse than that. So the original idea of let's just elevate the heel, that was problem number one, because um, because what happens is when you elevate the heel, if you run naturally, if you're, land, if you're running barefoot, if you're used to running barefoot, right. watch people who run barefoot their whole life, their heel barely misses the ground as they end up landing sort of midfoot or on the ball of the foot. You put a big wedge here and their heel hits the ground in front of their center of mass. In front yeah, of their yeah but how else are you gonna slow yourself down and fuck up your back? You know, yeah. There are other ways, but they're not as easy or effective. And so, they involve Asian hookers. Sorry, go ahead. That's right. Running away from Asian hookers is one way. So once you land in your heel, your heel is a ball. Your b- a ball is unstable. So now they have to build in motion control. 
you, you know, people say, well, I pronate or I supinate. Well, not if you land on your midfoot, you don't, because there's no opportunity. So they build in motion control that doesn't work because you hit the ground. If you weigh 150 pounds, you hit the ground with 400, 500 pounds of force. There's no amount of foam that's going to protect you from that. So then, no. then you're landing, basically, by the time your foot rolls onto the ground, your plantar fascia are stretched and your arch is not engaged. And so that puts strain on your plantar fascia. So then they build in arch support to not, so you don't have that strain. Ah. Arch support means you're not using your muscles, ligaments, and tendons. And if you don't use it, guess what you do? You lose it. it. There you go. Yeah. We didn't even rehearse that. No, so, no. Even so, simpatico. It's, it's crazy. And then, and then of course the toe spring and then the rest of it. I mean, Oh, and then there's this flared sole thing, which for those of you who understand the physics, if you land further out from where your foot would naturally land, it creates a moment arm, basically creates this excessive torque. That basically means that pronation they're trying to control when they flare the sole, they make it happen. Did you, it was that, I know you've given this speech before. It, it seems relatively obvious when you said uh, the, they're trying to control you flare the soul. Did you like, did you build in that rhyme scheme as part of this? He's a writer. It happened naturally right there. Um, I didn't. And now that you pointed it out, I will never say that again. No, you should say it more often. I think I'm, that dude, helps I'm people remember Fuchs. it. You want, you want it to be like memorable what you're saying. I'm giving you, I'm giving you no, speaking we, advice. We got to make, we got to. This is good advice. No, I'm we got to do more. Jaundice. It's just the yellow light. He's <laughs> butthurt yeah. about the jaundice. No, we got. I think you actually do have jaundice, and you just got yellow lights to make it look like the rest. Water of right now. I can show you what's up. <laughs> I got an empty glass right here. I'll show you. Oh yeah. Oh, um, chug, chug, chug. <laughs> the um, uh, I think we need to make it really Dr. Seuss and just like really get the rhyming in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're okay. So you've you're a script you're a script writer, correct? Uh, script writing, or at one yeah. point in your life, you're a script writer. Yeah, that's true. Well, so then you probably are, I'm sure you're extremely, well, you wrote a book. You wrote the book on script writing. No, I wrote so, the software. I wrote the, I wrote the software that people use for script writing. Okay, there you go. Yeah, the, so, the book on script writing is some, uh, by a guy named Sid Field. I think it's called, oh, uh, Sid. you know that one? Sid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have it. It's my, it's like my Bible. It's just right That's beside a great my book. bed. No, I, yeah. I mean, you read, you read Save the Cat? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, uh, anyway, so you should know that, like, you got to, uh, you know, you want things to rhyme and be memorable and all that, you know? So that's no, I agree with you. Do. I'm just saying we got to really go, you know, all Dr. Seuss on it. And just like go like, all in. Yeah, yeah. Do you wear, you know, do you, do you put it in a shoe? Do you feel like you're stepping in glue? Do you, oh, I this is really Here, nice. Let me, let me take a, let me take a rip at don't, it. Don't let me um, rap either. Cause I can't. Let me uh, if you choose to pad the heel, you'll start to walk like your leg's a wheel. Hey, <laughs> I kind of want wheels though. Wheels? Is no, you want one. wheels. No, wheels. you're gonna land with your foot all up front, right? Uh, you should land with your feet under your body. When they're out front, you're running naughty. And doing. Oh, I like that one with John Gotti. So you mentioned Achilles tendinopathy earlier. I actually like had it for a little bit. It's still kind of on and off. But are you getting a notepad to write that but, down? No, 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 no. I'm going back. I'm going back to your rhyme, and I'm I'm making it rain, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um. So anyway, you sent us your shoes maybe three weeks ago, and yeah. I'm noticing a massive difference in not only my comfort level with these things, but also my tendinopathy seems to be 
not flaring up anymore in my right Achilles. What, I am what not, is that? What's, 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 what's with that? Why is that? I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV or the internet. Um, but I, but I know a lot about this stuff. So the simple thing is that a lot of, um, what people think of as overuse issues or things like tendinopathy or plantar fasciitis, et cetera, are only overuse injuries because you're putting your body in a, in a uh, detrimental position to begin with, and then overusing that. If you let your right. body do what it's made to do, it's wired to work well. Your muscles, ligaments, and tendons in your lower body and all the way up in your neck, really, they work in concert to act as springs and shock absorbers and take the force off your joints. And so when you let that happen, that happens. Like, here's a crazy thing. Um, when they do research on animals uh, about um, knee osteoarthritis, they have, to in, they have to inflict knee osteoarthritis. So the way they do it with a rabbit, they straighten its leg and they just percuss its heel. They just keep hitting its heel, putting stress into the knee joint until osteoarthritis develops. Now, and that's how we're teaching. And that's how we're telling people to run. Yes. And here's the thing that's so funny. So the way they want to test for the cure for arthritis is they need to do whatever intervention they're doing, some drug, some surgery, whatever. But then they have to take the original rabbits and just stop hitting them in the damn heel and it goes away on its own. So same thing happens. Isabel Sacco in Brazil, she did some research. She took a 65-year-old plus women who had knee osteoarthritis, put them in minimalist footwear, and said, just wear this for at least six hours a day. And in six months, their arthritis was gone. What? Poor fucking rabbit, man. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, so that's crazy. That's, so I got, I got a question. So you, you said the fastest growing footwear brand in the world. That's yeah. how you refer to zero shoes. Now it, I got a question. It, 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 may be, it may be true, but I, okay. But what well, my question is about that? You started. You're, you're 12 years in, right? You started in 2009. Yep. So and what it, what took you so long? Why is it just now the fastest growing brand? Well, no, it's actually been. I mean, we've been kind of. Well, it's funny if you look at a chart from our growth. We started this. My wife and I started this thinking it would be a little, I'll say it this way, a couple of years in, I said to my wife, wouldn't it be nice to have a little internet-based business, took a couple hours a day to run, made us enough money that we didn't have to really work. She goes, we have that. I went, yep, but it can't stay that way. You know, a little garage business is way too vulnerable. And we're helping too many people. We're hearing too many people say, oh my God, these things changed my life. We got to yeah. get serious. And so um, for the first three and a half years of the business, we were selling a do-it-yourself sandal making kit. Okay. You'd be surprised yeah. here, not a lot of people wanted to do that. I mean, lot, you know, enough for us to make a living, but not, you know, but then, then they said, okay, great. So this, um, this kit was like, just like blueprints or do you send them like a piece of tire rubber and like, um, like, and so we would get, we were buying big sheets of rubber that we were cutting into smaller sheets of rubber. We were buying big things of cord from Home Depot. We were literally driving around to every Home Depot in Colorado to find this cord that we needed. And then we cut that into smaller chunks. And we sent that out with instructions on how to make a sandal based on this 10,000 year old design. And so limited the market clearly. And then people said, I, I love the idea, but I'm not gonna make my I'm not gonna make it myself. So we came up with a ready-to-wear version that made things grow. Then they said, I don't like a thong style sandal, even though the way our lacing system works, the, it's not like a flip-flop where you have to jam your foot into a thong. You just uh, it holds around your whole foot. Mm. And then so we made a ready-to-wear version. And then they go, Great, what do I do in the winter or when I have to go to work? So we made our first shoe. Quit being such a quit being such a pansy ass. That's what you do in the winter. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I spent um, now, I guess, 10 Colorado winters, either barefoot or in sandals the first time, just because I was curious, like how long could I go where I didn't feel like I needed to have shoes? How many toes, how many toes does it got right now? Uh, one and a half. I'm going to guess about 0.75 well, no, the, for, for well, winter. Is how many to be clear, the other eight and a half are in a box. Um, no, here's, wait, here's, <laughs> here's five. 
here's five. Oh, yeah. They're all there. All there. Here we go. Feet fit the foot fetish. This is well, it. I have, ten, I have, I have all ten. I have ten toes, but I started with fourteen, so that's the problem. But, um, but I, but I, I started this experiment in November, and then the next thing I did was March, and I made it through a winter in a pair of sandals that was only four millimeters of rubber, and um, and then I kept going, and it's been like that ever since. So, um, but we didn't have our first shoe until 2016, and then. Right. In 2017, so we've been growing. I mean, all of our numbers are public. We did a crowdfunding raise in 2017, and so if you go to zeroshoes.com/sec, you'll see our numbers. We've been growing fit roughly 50% a year, year over year, for like the last five six years. And, so get this: about uh, six months ago or so, um, guy walks in the gym and he goes, "It sounds like it's a setup for a joke." No, no. Danny can't uh, tell good jokes. No, I'm shit at joke telling. Um, so <laughs> guy from the gym and uh he's like man he has these make new shoes on and i'm like oh it's a new shoe. and he's like talking about these shoes like oh yeah they're called zero but it's with an x so fucking confusing and and no, he didn't say that part he just said he was That's like okay. yeah i got called zero check them out and he goes he goes man i'm and he always like had like issues back and so he's always trying different shoes and stuff like that whatever like, yeah i couldn't find the ones i, I usually got and i heard about these i don't know how um and so he got and he's like they are so comfortable he's like dude i shit you not i will never buy another pair of shoes as long as i can keep getting these ones this and is i was like man that's some like pretty high praise you know what i mean and so i immediately hesitated on buying a pair myself <laughs> uh, but now that i have a pair i love them dude like they're yeah. great and the reason nice. i hesitated is because I, I already have some barefoot shoes from a different manufacturer whose name will not be mentioned on this uh, episode <laughs> If you say we'll it, say it. And don't say and don't say it three times in a row because then it's a, it's a Beetlejuice thing is all I can say. Yeah, yeah, but it starts with a V and rhymes with Evo barefoot. It, it rhymes um, with Beetlejuice. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, but it's the same. You know, it's a similar type of thing. Yeah. I loved them and they were great. Well, now so I got the Zero shoes and I've been wearing those also. So now, but I have something to compare them to. It's not just comparing them to regular shoes. Yeah. I can actually compare them to like a similar product on the yeah. market, whatever. And I will tell you, no bullshit, I absolutely prefer the zero shoe. I feel like they're um I feel like they're lighter. Mm -hmm. Um and even by weight, I don't even know if they are, but they just feel lighter on my foot. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that they also the bottom, like the other ones also are very, you know, you can feel the ground all that type of shit. But the soles of the zeros are just better. Like I feel like I have more foot still. Um, but still feels protected. It just, it feels like my, you know what it feels like? It feels like I wrap my foot in like a pillowcase or something, you know what I mean? Or like, right, like, you know, it's like, it's like, I know it's protected, but I don't feel like there's anything on my foot. It's like so close to what like a barefoot feel would be. Um, but it feels so protected. And I like that because I like the barefoot idea. I'm into that shit, but I never got the vibrant five fingers because I have too much self-respect. To like walk around looking like a mini, and like I go, like I go in the grocery store and someone's wearing them and it was fucking gross. Like I'd be like, just take them off. Like so I would weird. so much rather someone be barefoot than wear the toe shoe. Um, anyway, and that's one thing that I really like about the zeros. You know, it just looks like a regular shoe. Like you don't, you know, it has all the all the benefits. You don't look like a like a idiot, dude. You don't look like an idiot. Well, you know, here's the joke. Here's the joke. If if the five fingers had fit me. I would have never ah. started this company, but I, you know, I started oh. trying those on 
Yeah, I started trying those on in like 2007. And like every six months, I'd try them on. You know how like at the end, it's an evening, you go to the fridge, you open it up, you don't see what you want, you close it and you come back five minutes later as if it's a psychic replicator. You yeah. Know? I was doing that with five fingers and they just never fit my foot. Well, you got so big toes? Not, you got big um, toes? I have a PS14. Yeah, and, and four of them are very misshapen. Um, by the way, that 14, it was uh, five on one foot and eight on the other. Um, or nine on the other. I don't know. That's, that's yeah, I can't even remember that. Um, the, no, but the, I have Morton's toe. So my first toe is shorter than my second toe. Mm. And by the way, people say when they have Morton's toe, they say my second toe is longer. It's actually that your first toe is shorter than it's supposed to be. Is there, is there, there a difference? Is there a difference Eureka. between that? It's only a difference in explaining the way you say why it. it is what it is. Uh, not the you know what it is. What it's it all is. about perspective. Also, is it like all extremities? Like, does it mess up your hands as well, or do you have normal length Th and thumb? This finger is longer than. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. This finger is the longest one right now. <laughs> so, I'm gonna be honest. It sounds like like the barefoot idea sounded like some hippie voodoo shit to me. It like, is hippie like voodoo I'm, shit. I'm like, so this is too much. Well, look, but, it, but it's, um, I, I agree with Danny. Like I don't, I have eight pairs of shoes upstairs. Every time I go to leave my house, I don't even look at another pair. Like I just, yeah. these things are so fucking comfy. They're Thanks. so well, comfortable. It, it is hippie voodoo shit, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. Like just because something is like not traditional or, or actually is traditional, but just in, you know, it's like societal expectations or whatever. Right. Um, just because maybe it's not what other people are into doesn't mean it's wrong, right? Yeah, like I'm, fact I'm... Man, am I pumped up. It might be because of the horny goat weed I've been taking from NutriChamp Supplements. They have 80 products, including minerals, vitamins, herbal supplements, gummies, powders, liquids, oils. The list goes on and on. NutriChamps represents accessible quality without any compromises. Every purchase generates a donation to the Vitamin Angels, which is a nonprofit supporting men, women, and children in need of proper nutrition. Use discount code CAFFEINE22 right now to get 15% off at NutriChamps.com. That's CAFFEINE22 to get 15% off NutriChamps.com. Get pumped up. Common wisdom, common wisdom is rarely wise, um, and you know, footwear companies have been telling you this story that you're broken and you need their solutions that don't work for so long. You know, you tell a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. You tell that quote truth often enough, it becomes common knowledge at some point. They've been telling that story for 50 years, and there was no other option really. So, you know, people just don't have that in their brain. But how many, uh, how many pairs of zero shoes be sold? That's a really good question. I, I, I don't even know. I th um, million Make some up, dude. I don't even know. Mil million and a half, something like that. <laughs> a million and a half. Really? Yeah, maybe like between a million and a half and two million. Right, from, from 2016 until now when he actually started making the shoes yourself, right? Yeah. Now, when you were just doing the kits, like how many of those sandal, make your own sandal kits did you sell? A lot. I don't have a number. I was, dude, that was, I don't remember what I had for breakfast. You're asking me to remember 2009. So, yeah, um, dude, um, smart guy. And, we, and um, we, actually, we actually still do sell a lot of those. They're oh, super, really? super fun. In fact, at four o'clock in 45 minutes, we're having a sandal kit right. party here at the office because we hired a bunch of new people who've never made them before. So, um, sandal kit party, pizza, and then that cake. 
I want to do a sandal kit part. How much, how, <laughs> how difficult is it? Like could my, uh, like my kids, like I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. Oh, yeah. Could they make totally their own sandal? Uh, the nine-year-old, definitely the five-year-old with some help. And keep, keep in mind, human beings have been doing this for a long time. I've got video instructions. Uh, what I'll tell you is the first time you do it, it's going to be a little wacky. It might take you, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour. Once you've done it once, you can do it in five minutes. This sounds good. I've always wanted to dress up like a pharaoh from Egypt, and this is my chance. <laughs> so, uh, Great. have you have you gone and visited the, the Taruma? We um, no, because they're the Tarumara, but that's okay. The um, we haven't had the time. I mean, here's the joke: we started the company, and from day one, we started donating. You make fun of my pronunciation. No, I was just correcting it. We. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's okay if you were. From day one, we started sending money to support the Tarumara since they were part of our inspiration. And the plan was, let's go down and hang out. And honestly, it's been so busy. Lane and I have, we've had, uh, we've had two days off in the last 12 years. And, and I think, and that happened last year when everybody was in COVIDville. When have you met uh, Chris McDougall? I met Chris a number of times and we're having a nice chat next week, in fact. Did you invite him to your sandal making party? No, he's in Pennsylvania or Hawaii. God, I hope he doesn't find out about it. Uh, yeah, it's true. Hope someone doesn't cake. tag him in all these videos. <laughs> it's the cake that's really that would get him out here, maybe. Um, um, Chris, how how much? If I wanted to buy a sandal making kit, how much do they cost? Um, Twenty five bucks. Oh, that's yeah. yeah Twenty five, thirty bucks. Yeah. Now you, I read that when you started, uh, when you started zero, you it almost started as a joke. Where did you read this? Who are you talking to? Like what, why, like, how was it? How was that? How was it? It was a joke. Like we're going to make barefoot sandals. And it's like, well, if we're barefoot, why do you need sandals? Like what was the, or like no, oh, the, send people fucking rubber and cord and then like they got to do it themselves. What was the joke? Well, it was less joke than it, it was sort of a unplanned accidental sort of. So I'd been making these sandals after I made a pair for myself, a bunch of local runners said, Hey, I want some of those. The first pair I made other than for me was for my wife who was not a runner, not an athlete. She just kind of patted me on the head like, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do with these things. Dude, and, you might listen to this. Be careful. Uh, she's heard me say this before. I, I, I don't say, yeah, anyway, I adore this woman. So um, uh, when I made this sense for her, she kind of threw them in the closet. And then she read Born to Run, which if you're not a runner, it's still an amazing book. And that That's inspired her. Yeah, that inspired her to put the sandals on and she's walking around. And the first thing she noticed, she goes, why am I walking to the Boulder Farmer's Market as if I'm a high-powered Chicago attorney late for court? You know, I'm slamming my feet into the ground. And so it took her about a week to just get used to natural movement. And then about a week later, she went to put on her, quote, healthy sandals, took two steps and went, oh, these things weigh a ton and I can't feel the ground anymore. This is ridiculous. So that was, you know, one nice thing. Then um, other runners were asking me to make sandals for them. So I made maybe 50 or 60 pairs. And then a guy was writing a book on barefoot running called Barefoot Running. Uh, very creative. Creative and name, yeah. It was uh, called what it is. And he said, if you treated this sandal making hobby like a business, you know, I'd put you in the book if you had a website or something. Well, I'd been an internet marketer for- He said, oh, funny thing, I do. Well, I didn't. I said, give me, just wait. And so I rushed minutes. home. Yeah. I rush home. I pitch this incredible opportunity to my wife. I say, you know, here's what's going on. She tells me that I'm a complete idiot and it won't make any money. It won't, is a waste of time, distraction from other things we're doing. And I said, yeah, you're right. I, I won't make a, build a website. And then she went to bed and then built a website. So um, <laughs> that's, that's sort of the joke of it. When she kind of growled at me the next morning, I said, it, look, if it goes well, maybe we'll make enough money to make a car payment. And the first pair that we sold a week later, 
after I put the site up was to a guy, this is the end of November. And there's a guy in Minnesota where it was snow on the ground and he bought a sandal making kit. And we thought, well, that's interesting. And then a little while later, we're walking in downtown Boulder on the Pearl street mall. And this pack of teenage girls run up to us and go, Oh, those are sick. Where do you get those? It was like, Oh, okay. This is a real thing. And, mm-hmm. and then um, it just took off from there. And she's a brilliant finance and operations person. So she's, once she saw this is real, she says, all right, look, I'm all in and I'll run the business side. You run the marketing product side. And that's how it all started. So it was totally unplanned, accidental. We thought we, you know, we, we had, ideas that somebody would buy this company for a million dollars and we'd be done. That never happened. And, you know, as the business grew, we kept talking to people who just never believed a word we were saying. And until now, here we are, you know, significant size company and people are going literally at the end of 2021, I emailed a bunch of potential investors who turned us down. And I said, is it too rude to say, I told you so. And they were very gracious and said, wow, we were very, very wrong. And so good. That must be the best feeling in the world. um, I'm not a vindictive person. I just like proving that I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) What's the difference? uh, So you're a, you're a sprinter, which is interesting because, um, you know, a lot of times I think when people think about these barefoot shoes or I'm now projecting on everybody else in the world, I know myself personally, but I think about barefoot shoes and stuff, you think about the distance running, because you think about that, you know, um, Mexican, Repeat after me. Taramara. Taramara. Tarumara. Okay. It's really it's spelled Tarahumara. Tarumara. Okay. So the Tarumara. So you know the the distance running, and that's like a big part of Born to Run. Is talking about the distance running and how these dudes just slap these sandals on and then go hit the hit the trail for you know, 50 miles. miles or whatever or more, right? hundred miles. Yeah. And, and so we think of this barefoot running, you think of that distance running with it. However, you uh, say that 200 meters is the furthest distance that you enjoy running. Oh, no, 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 no. I, for the 200, you have to take a turn and I don't own a GPS watch. You, so. you start on the turn. So a hundred uh, meters yeah. is probably where you tap out. So you yeah. must really like indoor track season. Because I love you can run indoor like season. And stuff, right? Oh, the 60 is my favorite race. And that's, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm faster in a 60 than a, in a hundred. My favorite part of the 60, other than the fact that I'm really fast at it, is that you Doesn't have to run. Doesn't everybody run 60 faster than a hundred? Um, there's some people who, I'm, I'm not a great hundred meter runner. I'm a good hundred meter runner. I'm not a great. Well, because it's further. Like it's got to take you longer. No, he yeah. didn't mean further. He didn't mean faster than the hundred. He just means faster in. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm a quote, true sprinter, like in the hundred, I start breaking down at 80 meters. (laughs) So that's, that's my point. I'm working on that. So, um, so no, I love indoor and yeah, it, it, the, the whole barefoot thing evolved around the same time as the idea of distance running. So that's the way people think of it. Ironic. It's ironic though, because sprinting spikes are basically minimalist shoes. They're too pointy. They're basically minimalist shoes. So sprinters have been for a long time. Mm -hmm. I prefer, I, I really prefer to, uh, especially sprint like barefoot or in minimalist shoes, whatever I go into the park and I walk the park first to make sure there aren't any dog turds. And then once I know I have a clear path, then I uh, take off my shoes, my shoes and socks, and you put down a rip barefoot in the grass. Put a few doctors down to make sure no one gets in your path. That's the idea. Yeah, well, that's what I. You'll actually use them to like uh, as like guardrails. Yeah, like even the line. Yeah, a great idea. And if you don't have a dog, you know, so um, guard your neighbors. So, (laughs) so you uh, so start with the sprinting. So yeah, I got a. What is your favorite sprinting workout? Like, do do you? 
train um, for sprinting? Yeah, so, still? So, I'm, so I'm a master's all-American sprinter. Um, so I'm one of the fastest guys over, well, over 55 in the country, over 60 as of Saturday and this coming Saturday. And um, more cake. More cake, I know. In fact, having, I'm having a small party with three different cakes. I'm having a second one of these and then uh, a gluten-free chocolate one for those people who uh, have genetic problems um, and would otherwise die. And then a tart of some sort, like a fruit tart, because holy crap, the other stuff is so sweet. So, um, so, so I have a handful of sprinting workouts that I really like. Um, one of them is just doing starting drills. So I got a thing from a guy whose name is not coming into my head right now. Anyway, it's a, it's a drill where you put out cones um, at increasing distances based on what your start should be like if you're going to run a 12 second hundred, a 13 second hundred, et cetera. And the idea is that you want to make sure your feet are kind of hitting these spots at the right time mm. um, without overstriding, without putting your foot in front of you and putting the brakes on. And there, the guy who came up with this drill, it's, he, he describes his starting the, the dry phase, the start of a sprint is to violently force yourself to upright position. And what that means is you're coming out hard, hitting the ground hard, and you don't want to stand up. You want to you keep trying to stay low until you're, the amount of force you're putting yeah. into the ground just forces you to be more upright, forces you to get into that transition phase to maximum velocity. Then there's the maximum velocity drills, which are wicket drills. These tiny little like six-inch hurdles, you set these hurdles up similarly at a certain distance, and the goal is without overstriding to just run so you're hitting the ground in between these hurdles. And even though they're only six inches high, and even if you did hit them, they would just fly somewhere, they weigh nothing, it makes you have better form for that maximum velocity phase. Um, which is another drill that I really like. And then um, the other one that I like is uh, just doing a change of speed drill. So you'll set cones up. So you've got like 30 meters, 60 meters, 90 meters, and you'll do slow, medium, fast, and then slow, fast, slow, and fast, slow, fast, slow, fast, and then rest and repeat. And so that's just training just a number of different phases um, of sprinting. But also the other thing, I just like getting out of the blocks because just that, Learning how to do that, those first two steps are critically important uh, for- So do you like have a pair of blocks at your house? Yeah. And Dude. so every now and then you just like go out there and pop those things down and just get a, get a crack in half? Wait, I, hold on, you cut out, say it again? So sometimes you just grab, grab the blocks and then just go outside and slap them down and get it cracking. No, I just hit the track. The thing, actually, I'll tell you, my, here's my favorite sprinting drill lately. My wife and I just got a dog. It's our first dog ever. And- um, Big day. What I, I, I cannot tell you how in love I am with this animal. And uh, what's really fun is I've discovered, thanks to him, that I can sprint full out, full speed, no warm up at 6 a.m. <laughs> I, yeah. I have a dog. I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> well, it's one of the things, he's kind of low to the ground. He looks sort of like a, either a dachshund on steroids or something else that's been shrunk. And, well, um, and, when I, and when I say run, he loves to run. And then I can do overspeed work. So he'll pull me faster than I can run normally. And the goal is to have good form and pick up your cadence while you're doing that so you don't fall on your face and embarrass the dog. Some would say yeah, he's it, born to yeah, run. Yeah, you don't, want to embarrass, you don't want to embarrass the dog. No. No. He was born to run, it sounds like. Yeah, that dog was. Shout out Chris McDougall. <laughs> um, 
it's interesting how you said like straight, you know, 6 a.m., no warm up, going to pool spray and be fine. I mean, I've actually, I've heard that theory. So it's funny, you can say the same thing, uh, or you can argue both sides of it using anecdotal stuff, right? Like, be like, uh, you know, you're like, oh, the cheetah doesn't stretch or whatever, uh, look, right? Wait, let me, then, I'm not recommending this. No, I, mean, I know you're not. I know you're not. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going on into like going off of that. I know you're not recommending that. I'm just yeah. saying that, like, I, I know, okay, so when I was competing in weightlifting, there was a guy in the team that was kind of nuts. Uh, anyway, he was a lot of fun, but that was always his theory too. Like, you should be able to get out of bed and like yeah. lift your max, like lift your max, right? Like fight or flight instincts. Like, you know, it's one of those things, like if they're, you know, it's the baby, it's the mama bear and the car on the child, or, like, you know, like, these type of things, like, right? Like it's in the right circumstance with the right motivation. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, okay, like if you're running from a bear, you're probably not going to pull a hand. Right. Like it's just like, and if you are, it. you're not going to know until way after it's, you know, right. too late in one direction or the other, but exactly, here, to, you know. to the weight, to the weightlifting point, I'm going to agree with him with a caveat. My suspicion is if you just rolled out of bed and tried to set a PR, you know, in your basement, you wouldn't do it. But if you rolled out of bed and had to be at a meet, you might, because right. the difference, that difference, like I say to people, I can train as hard as I want. And uh, maybe I'm a little sore the next day. And then I go to a race and I run for oh. 12 and a half, 13 seconds. And I am toast for four days after that. The yeah. thing, the adrenaline, it just changed mm -hmm. everything. And I find that really fascinating. Yeah, it's funny. You could say uh, the antidote both sides. You go, hey, like the cheetah is a stretch. But at the same time, you could say, you know, every cat in the world gets like wakes up and stretches first thing in the morning. And like, <laughs> <laughs> you can argue that. We were kind of talking about that last time, uh, me and Steven, about um, he was like, have you ever had like a good training session where you felt like shit beforehand? And like maybe you PR'd oh. on a day you felt like shit. And then he's like, all the time. And then he's like, there goes sports psychology out the window. Dude, and it's 100%. like, fuck, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I learned I learned pretty early on um, the, the lesson that how you feel is a lie. Has like, no relationship you to know? how you're going to perform. Now, when you're now on the same show, from those groups sick, like, you don't feel good. Like, what, you know, what will you recommend if I'm, you know, like, don't feel well? Should I still work out? Should I not? I just say, hey, look, man, like, you just warm up, warm up. And then at the end of the warm up, if you feel yeah. the same or better, you're probably fine. If you feel worse, you should probably stop, right? Like, that's like, it's not sometimes you know, overcomplicating it, you know? Yeah, sometimes you just don't have that luxury. You've got to meet, you're going to, you know, you're going to be there and you got to yeah, do it anyway. Yeah, and then you just do it. And that's the part that I just, I, I find so fascinating is that during that, you know, you walk onto the track sick as a dog, you run the race, you feel great for two hours afterwards, and then you're sick as a dog again. I mean, that is so interesting. If we could only tap into that at, at will, that would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I think that's part of the goal of trying to, right. For like as an athlete, right. Like trying to um, get in, like in the zone, you yeah, know, I don't, regardless I don't, I don't of what that's necessary. Yeah. I mean, really, my whole thing is I don't care what I think. I don't care how I feel. I'm just going to go do the best that I can. And that's it. And sometimes because some because I've just well, done it so many times. I was an all-American gymnast way back when I had some right. of my best meets when I had a pulled hamstring and could barely walk. And then, you know, like knocked a 9.5 out. What, what you just said is absolutely it, though, right? We said, like, it doesn't really matter. You just go and do the best you can. Well, because that's, that's the truth. That's all you can do anyway. That's all you can like, do. do. Do your best. And however your body responds to that based on whatever the hell's going on, that's got nothing to do with you. Yeah. It actually no. has nothing to, like, how your body actually performs has nothing to do with you if you go out there and just give yeah. your best shot. And it's like, and then how can you really be disappointed? Even if you don't perform the way you wanted, yeah. if you know that you absolutely gave your best shot, then, like, that's, and how to be it clear, turns out is out of your hand. 
And to be clear, sometimes your best shot is full of things you don't like, like the race that I did last week. I mean, I really fell apart at about 70 meters. I just wasn't as strong and, in con and as conditioned as I thought I was for racing. For training, I felt fine. Racing, clearly not the case. So, you know, that was, quote, my best, even though it wasn't very good. I mean, it was okay. I still was like, you know, really close to an All-American time, but um, was nothing close to what I know I can do. But I don't, but I don't get down on myself about that. And when someone says, how do you do? I say, I say to them, can I give you the excuse or do you just want the time? So, <laughs> you know, that's fun too. But the other part of that is that um, like at the beginning of a race, especially master's races, there's a bunch of old guys and there's always, you know, first of all, we're all stupidly competitive, but we're all old enough to know that we're that competitive and there's no value to it. So it's kind of fun. It's like, Hey, you have yeah. that mental disorder as well. Welcome to the club. So yeah. um, invariably some guy will look at me and some guy who's like much bigger and buffer than I am. will say, Hey, have a good race, man. Good luck. And I go, Hey, look, there's no bonus points. There's no prize money. Just do me a favor. Have a good time. Get to the end. Be healthy. And by the way, I completely want to kick your ass. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> how, how do you guys, I'm curious, I know a lot of people going through injuries right now, in, especially in weightlifting right now, but how do you guys deal with kind of the mental aspect of weightlifting? Or do you just not get them anymore because of your zero shoes? I don't even, I don't know, even know what you mean by that, what, by the mental aspect. Like of getting through an injury, getting to the oh, other side of it. Because um, so they can be you, grueling. They can make you not want to do it again or not want to work out or and shit like that. So how do you get yeah, past it? No, the, the biggest part for me about, first of all, I haven't had a serious injury in over 12 years. So it's hard zero, for me to... Hey, that's a coincidence. When, how long ago did you start zero <laughs> shoes? Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but back in the days when I would get injured, um, at first, when I first got back into sprinting and I got injured, it was very depressing every time. And then it got to the point where it was like, eh, you know, whatever. And the hardest part was just that sitting around and not going to the track and just sitting around and just waiting till I felt good enough to, you know, start testing it gently. And, um, and the, the thing was always just, I want to take it really easy until I feel I have no fear about going full speed. I mean, that's really the barometer for me, but I don't really, um, if something goes wrong, I don't, care i don't um because you know shit goes wrong so why would i make my life more miserable by thinking that it shouldn't mm, that's a good point yeah. well are you danny you get ever, yeah. ever get injured yeah oh yeah um i like what he said at the end there too like why you know give a shit, why yeah. live like you shouldn't right like it's, it's yeah. almost things like you you know you do the stuff that you try to you know prevent things whatever but at the end of the day when something happens that happens right like talk about a lot in the shows like you know, with everything in life, there's a stimulus and then there's your response to it, right? And like the more you can live in the space between those things, the better, right? It's easy to, you get injured and you can be like so upset about it, but being upset about it doesn't change it. Like no. it doesn't, it doesn't change that it happens. And it's going to make you feel, you're going to feel no better than when you get all upset about it. It's only going to feel worse about it, right? And so just try to live in that space between the, the something happening and then your emotional response to it, right? Um, it just is, right? It's just something that happened and now yeah. it's something you deal with. Something you do. Right? And the dealing with it's interesting. I just had a weirdly crazy flashback. So I started out um, when I was a kid, I was seven, I was a competitive diver. And then I quit diving when I was 11 or 12, I don't remember which. And um, I didn't discover gymnastics till the next year. And my mother, I remember my mother telling me, I have no memory of this personally, but I remember my mother saying that one year where you didn't have a sport, you were depressed. Yeah. And, I, and I understand, like when I'm remembering- to drive you. Yeah, and when I'm remembering, you know, being injured enough that I couldn't do anything, there's just that, there is that sort of slightly depressive something. In fact, it's funny, I had my shoulder operated on uh, four or five years ago, 
And um, I, I called a friend of mine who's an, uh, a nurse, uh, sorry, a psychologist who works in hospitals. And she called and said, how are you doing? I said, well, about a week after surgery, I was like really depressed for about a half a day. She goes, half a day? That normally lasts for months for people. I'm like, yeah, I was yeah. done. So, um, yeah. in, but, there, but yeah, there's a there there to that when your yeah. body doesn't do what you want. You know, there is a mental component. A hundred, I think and, it's harder than the physical. Like, well, and so to, to circle back to your question to you, Dylan, about that, is I, I think that a big part of it is um, focusing on when people get in trouble with it or when they get frustrated with it because they're focusing on the things they can't do instead Correct. of on the things they can do, right? Correct. And it actually is, a, there's this really good book. Um, it's about actually like business stuff more, but it's called The Gap in the Game. And it talks about a lot of times when people are frustrated or feel as though they're not making the progress they want to or whatever, it's because they're always thinking about this gap between where they want to be and where they are, right? You, what you there's, described. There's this whole thing there. And so like what the, you should look back on the game, right? Like where were you and where are you now, yeah. right? And when you do that, then you feel so much better, right? It's like focus on the game, not on the gap, right? I'm gonna, the gap I'm, is just all made up in your head anyway. I'm going to, I'm going to suggest you don't even need the second part. I mean, the second part is fun because it can make you feel good, but to use that as a um, panacea, to use that as a cure for what ails you is not necessary. If you notice the mathematical, because what you just described is mathematically accurate, the cause of misery is imagining and is imagining a better future than the state you're in right now. And if, you, and if you didn't have that imagined future, you're fine right now, even 100%. if you're not doing what you want, even if you're injured, even look, you're breathing, you're alive, what, someone's yeah. behind food, you know, what, what's there to complain well, about? My God. Well, check out, I was just talking to this, uh, this girl today. Um, it's funny, so I'm like out in Nashville for uh, well, some business stuff. And then I have a little, my wife come out for a little vacation too. But randomly outside the grocery store, I run into like one of the five people I know that live in Nashville. And uh, it's like, anyway, she's pregnant. And they're buying this house. And this whole thing is like, they don't know if they're going to be into the new house before the baby comes or not. I'm like, yeah, so like, you know, it's kind of, we don't really know what to do. Like, we don't like, I don't want to build the crib because then like, you got to move the crib and, you know, that's this whole thing. And I, and, but they're taking it pretty well. But I was like, well, here's the deal. You got 20 weeks uh, until the baby's here, right? Like, yeah. Like, well, is there anything you can do to have the house done sooner or, or longer? And they're like, no. I'm like, so like, why worry? Why spend the next 20 weeks worrying about something you have no control over, right? right. Like when, like for the next 18 weeks, just shouldn't even be like, try to like not even worry because you can't do anything about it. And then two weeks, then you can worry. If it's not done yet, then you can worry. But like yeah. why spend the, the middle 18 weeks in the mid, in the, in the meantime, you're going to be spending all the time stressed out and worrying about something that you're going to have plenty of time to worry about that yeah. for those two weeks. Why start now? One of the reasons that I adore my wife is that she actually does all that worrying. And oh, the, reason she I adore that, the reason that I adore that is when it comes to running a business, that is yeah. a critically important skill to think yes. of every possible thing that could go wrong. Sure. Because then you may, because the we things plan. that you, exactly, you, can, there, you have some control over dealing with that. Um, but, um, and what the other reason I adore her is early on in our relationship, when she would ask me to engage in one of these hypotheticals, and I would say, I have no idea how I'm going to react in that situation you just described. She very quickly learned not to ask me those questions because I just don't think that way. And, right. and I understand that she does. I'm going to ask you a question, um, backing up to the whole thing about injuries and how, sure. how it happens mentally. I had a really weird thing happen to me, and I've never talked to anyone else about this, actually. 
Um, and I wonder if you have any relationship to it. So I'm at a track meet and I warming up and a bunch of kids on the track and I go to dodge some kids who, who, as I'm coming out of the drive phase, I look up and there's some kids right in front of me. So I try to jump out of the way, ripped a hamstring. Yeah. Badly. Um, my wife is with me and on the way home, we were going to stop off at this outlet mall to do some shopping. So we go to the outlet mall and I can barely walk. And there's a lot of people there. And as I could feel people right behind me, because I could barely move, I felt something I'd never felt in my life, this incredible primal urge to turn around and punch them. <laughs> I knew that like, was coming. <laughs> it was the weird, it was literally the, it was the most aggressive thought I've ever had in my life from this injury where I couldn't get out of the way. Yeah. Does that sound familiar? I mean, yeah, well, you, I were, think what that you were thinking about, you know, what you just went through and maybe inside how you're not going to be able to train for a while. So you were, no, no, it wasn't that. It was angry. Totally, no, it was, it wasn't that at all. It was literally just like a reaction to being, to feeling like something was about to attack me and I couldn't get out of the way. I, oh yeah. yeah. I think, okay. well, also, I mean, fight or flight, right? You're, you're yeah. like an injured, you know, it's like the injured bear or whatever, like the, the most dangerous animal is the injured animal. Right. That's, and what I was that's, like. that's what's going on. You were, you were the injured prey. You were as most. You were at your most primal state. Ever. Yeah, yeah. No, it was wild, and I'm and I'm and I'm almost watching this happen. Going, what is happening in my mind? I've never thought like this in my life. What the guys do after you hit him? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I ran. You know, what hobbled. <laughs> with the adrenaline, I didn't feel the hamstring pull. Yeah. So. Um, no, man. That's I was, that, yeah. About, that's that's yeah, about the injury thing. I was wondering if um, if there was a correlation when people get injured and they're having a tough time getting through it. I was wondering if there's a correlation or if you guys think there is uh, between being too wrapped up with that sport being your identity. Is that something you think oh. is possible? Oh man. Like uh, that, that can happen to a lot of people. I think. Oh, here, here's my Absolutely. example for that. It's happened to me, but. Well, my, my example for that is Kurt Thomas, the gymnast. He tried to make, he tried to come back and just was not there. And people are going, why is he doing this? And it's like, I know why he was doing this. He was the greatest in the world. And there's two things about that that are awesome. It just feels really good to be able to do that stuff. And the attention feels really good too. And, well, you know, that's tough. Yeah. I mean, the, this guy um, who's a weightlifter, um, he was, should, I mean, saying should have. Anyway, he potentially had a very, very good shot of going to the Olympics in 2012 and didn't make the team, right? Like you, USA usually had been sending two males for the previous couple quads. And then this year, that year, whatever, we only sent one. And he was he was number two. Like, he would have been the second guy, right? And so he thought he did what it took to make the team. He didn't, right? Um, that was pretty hard on him. But so then, anyway, he then after that kind of had some injuries and stuff, never really whatever. Well, he was kind of training for the 2016, like trying to maybe make the Olympics in 2016. But it was, he was kind of, he was kind of getting older, um, especially for that sport. He already had this big letdown. He was like fighting some injuries and he's, you know, like the odds are, are worse than ever now. And, and it's like writing on the wall. Right. And he's still training. And uh, someone asked him, they said, why, why are you training for the Olympics? And That's he looked at him and said, because I don't know what else to do. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of that, it's that whole thing of like his identity was just like, this is what he had done for the last eight years of his life. And like, this is who he is and what he does. And, and he just didn't know another way forward. It's, it's, it's a tough place to be. But it's a different thing than just, you know, continuing to do it because it's part of who you are. 
And I mean, someone asked me once, what would happen? What's going to, going to be like when you can't run? And I just spent 20 minutes just trying to think about that. And I said, that's the most depressing question that anyone's ever asked me. But the real answer is that I'll think of something else to do if that ever happens. Well, you seem yeah. like that kind of guy. You went through it. You've mentioned on this podcast alone about seven different things that you've done. So uh, I yeah. think you're a guy who can adapt to that. But I'm saying like, like, Dan, or, like, like Danny said, well, they, don't, they haven't found anything else they're good at or want to be good at or like yet. And they have, I've only had that one thing forever. Here's, so here's, they don't here's think the, they can do anything else. Like, like and, you said, they're afraid to let look, go of the rope. Well, yeah. and, you know, and look, maybe that is the only thing you're ever going to be really good at. And that's a hard thing to let go of when you're at the top of your game. There's, a, you know, there's something there's um, well, also it's one of those things, too. I think that, you know, what it took to yeah. get there yeah. and to get to that level. And the right. thought of starting all over Holy something else. Moly. Yeah, I think that's what it is more than that's, anything. That's definitely a part of it because, because it, I mean, if you don't have a really good thing driving you to it, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. Here's here's the most uh, saddest entrepreneurial story I, I ever engaged in. Oh hell yeah, I do sound listening. Well, I met a guy at a trade show. I knew who he was. I'd never met him before. He came up to me. He's a guy who started a footwear brand let's, about thirty years ago. Made a lot of money, changed the world, and he came back, I don't know, maybe it was about five years ago with a new footwear product that was a horrible idea. <laughs> and no one was going to tell him that because, you know, there's a famous guy who changed the world with this footwear thing he did. And I'm just going, this is, this is a, oh, this is going to be bad. And in fact, it was bad. He went bankrupt or he didn't go bankrupt, but the company did after two years. So anyway, he comes up to me at this trade show with a new version of this bad idea. And he says, and he introduced himself. He says, you know, I'm just trying to make it work because I'm just trying to get back to what I used to have. Mm. Now, I literally almost started crying. I didn't know him well enough to say, dude, you've got to find a hobby. What happened to you way back then was a once in a lifetime, never to be repeated event. You have so much money. You can do anything in the world. Find a hobby. I mean, you, cause don't blow it all on this shitty idea. No, I mean, don't blow it all. And, you know, don't think that you need to get back to an irreproducible event. It's like, you got to find a way to move forward and whatever. And if you're going to look back and go, that was the heyday. So be it. That was the heyday. Enjoy that. You've got that memory. Yeah, at least then, you had it. Exactly. You did it going. the first time. Yeah. See, I, I, what, okay. Yeah. I was going to change topics, but we, we don't have to. Here's no, I was just going to say one more thing. Like there was like, I was uh, talking to a real estate agent the other day, trying to sell him some film stuff. And, um, he was telling me like so gloaty, so happy that he was the number one salesman in Canada or whatever, um, just recently. And I look when in the middle of his speech, he's talking and I look behind him at this big trophy he's got saying number one salesman in Canada. So he wasn't lying, but it also says 1999 on it. Like that was when it, that's what, when he's talking, he's just hanging on to 1999 and it's 2022 and he's just. Yelling on the morning yet. I was like, yeah, <laughs> no, I was born, but um, yeah. So it's like, it's something like that. It's like that. It's kind of like that. Uh, like you feel bad in a way. Like you're, yeah. it's, that's cool. But like, you kind of feel it's, bad. Did you do him a favor and tell him? Put him out of his misery? Nah, dude. You're it's, like, hey dude, <laughs> look, it's come to my attention that for the past 23 years, you've been talking about this and everyone just goes long sick because they're being nice to you. Dude, but dude, you got to move on. You got to like, secretary but then again, does he, does he yeah. have to move on? He's proud I don't know of if he does. You know what I mean, good for him. But his secretary was in the other room. I I could just see on her face how many times she's heard this story over the last twenty years. Oh fuck! There was I, I Bill find, again with the fucking. I find, I mean, it was nineteen ninety nine, dude. 
I find the whole identity thing very interesting about, you know, how we try to have one and how we establish one. And um, I had a very strong anti-corporate logo policy for most of my life. I wasn't going to wear anything that had a corporate logo on it. And when I started sprinting again and I'm looking for clothes to wear, it all has logos on it. And I was like, I'm okay with this. If I'm going to, if I'm going to put on a, a fake persona, I'm okay with the old sprinter persona. Now that said, one day I'm walking into my office. It's a really hot summer day. I'm in a pair of crappy shorts, barefoot, zero shoes, t-shirt. My hair was particularly big that day. And I catch my reflection in the window and I go, oh, I'm that guy. <laughs> i i know what you mean i've uh i've had experience like that where i'm going i'm like oh this is where we are all right all right this i know i don't really normally you know think about how people perceive me um um but that was one looking at it's like oh now i get it now i see how why they're reacting that way <laughs> see, that's great. and you were probably reacting a certain way when you used to see it when you were younger or something or dressed differently you know what i mean like i remember as a kid you like a teenager playing with like 30 year old in basketball and you're like, yeah. he's old. And then now I'm th almost 30 playing it's with weird. younger kids. And I'm like, I'm fucking that guy now. Like that's it's, weird. it's really, well, you know, actually no, because so I'm turning 60 in a couple of days and I have no frame of reference for what 60 should be like, because growing up, all the people that I knew who were 60 had their lives were completely different than mine in every possible way. When thinking about my dad, when he was 60 and his friends, completely different universe. I have no frame of reference for this. I think about it, you know, one of the, here's the, this is gonna be sound weird. One of the times I think about this often is if I'm just sitting on the floor, because my father would never sit on the floor unless he was building something. That's true, yeah. Sit on the floor. So, but you know, I like sitting on the floor. It's great. Yeah, you're a floor sitter. Yeah. What? Um, Did you just call me a floor sitter? Yeah. yeah. That's right. Well, you identify as one now. It's part of your persona. Um, <laughs> it's your identity. What's your favorite thing about running Zero Shoes? Um, that we, again, like my wife said, there's no reason to do this unless you're changing people's lives. It's hearing stories just like yours. It's hearing stories from people all day, every day about how this has affected them. And because otherwise, why do it? What's your lead favorite part about um, running through our shoot? Uh, I'm not a managerial person. That's not what my brain does. I'm a creative idea person. And the bigger things have gotten, the more we need help doing things. I can't do it all myself. And so that turns me into a managerial person, which is just not the way my brain works. I find that very um, stressful, uh, not stressful, tiring. It's mentally exhausting. Why don't you just not do that then? Because um, we need things done really well. And people, people, when they, I've never had a job. I've never auditioned, auditioned. I've never interviewed for a job. I've never had a resume. I don't know how it works. But I've gathered when people get a job, they want to prove their value. They're, they're feeling certain kind of like, I got to make sure that everyone knows that I can, that I'm worth being here. And, um, and they often come in and they don't know what they don't know and try to act like they know it, or they don't even try to act like they know it. They just don't know they don't know it. And then they're acting out of that. And so there's lots of things that have to get corrected. Um, so, I mean, just a horrible example. Last weekend, one of our employees was at a trade show and he wanted to make a coupon code for people who came to the show and did our little balance challenge thing or whatever. And he didn't realize that the way he made it, made that coupon available to everybody who ordered product for the next 24 hours. I've seen that happen before. Yeah, yeah that cost us- right, but 
a lot of money. I guess what I'm saying is, um, you know, if you know there's something that you don't like, you don't like doing, it drains your energy, right? Um, Why don't you try and find somebody who likes doing that thing and then have them do it, and then you can focus on the things that you do like. Well, A, I have found someone who ostensibly can do that. B, I got to get her up to speed. And because we're growing so quickly and hiring so quickly, I'm still getting these other people up to speed. So, and then you find out, and look, hiring is never perfect. You bring someone on who you think is going to be great. And then you find out that it's not what you saw um, in the, whatever, in the packaging. Um, and so Usually there's that process. And yeah. then people have lives. I hear, rumor has it, they have lives. Yeah. And so we've had people, we've had amazing employees who had to leave for personal reasons, Sure, you know, and that's painful. So I think for every business owner, manager, uh, the most difficult thing is just all the human stuff that you have to deal with. People have, they bring their psychology to the office. They bring their ideas of, you know, from what they did somewhere else to the office. We have a very non-hierarchical organization. If someone in the warehouse has an idea for a product or a way of doing things better, I want them to come directly yeah. to me and tell me. Yeah, you like, better. Like, yeah, you better like, say something. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I mean, but it's like, but they're like, but you're the boss. It's like, Right. But here, but this guy's my supervisor. I don't care. There's no, there's no linear hierarchical thing. If you got something to say, I want to hear it. But historically there is some bullshit hierarchy thing that they, Correct. that we were kind of molded into Correct. starting at a young age, part-time job. Like that's kind of how you're brought up in, in careers. So I, I actually, I realized I've actually, I've only had, I, realized I, did, I, I did have one job. I didn't even have to uh, interview for it. I was just offered it. I, I, was, uh, I worked at a magic shop when I was a kid. I was like 14, 15. And the guy who owned the shop, I, I, I think I realized this at the time, taught me one of the most valuable lessons unintentionally. I had screwed something up. I don't remember what it was. And he got really, really mad. He wasn't mad at me personally. He was mad that I screwed something up and it messed up his day. And the distinction between a personal attack, and this was really problematic, and you better learn from this, was not lost on me. And it's something that I try to emphasize. I, look, I said, the guy who screwed up that coupon, I said to him this morning, I said, part of me- You're fucking out of here. Well, no, I said, there. part of me wishes that I didn't find you so valuable that I could have just fired you on the spot because that would have been very satisfying to go, you screwed it up, you're fired. But no, I mean, you're really an important part of this company and it cost us a bunch of money. And you know, I'm going to have to just get over it, which frankly, I already did. But some people learn better from that. Like that, the way you led that situation, he's going to probably learn better than that. Than if you just shit can him, he's going to be like, fuck that guy. And he's going to be mad for the next few months. And the next job he goes to is going to be the same thing. But but again, but, but the point is simply that you want people, you want people to make mistakes, right? Like, because if you're not making, because this is what I mean by that. If you, if you don't have, if you don't have an environment where it's okay to make mistakes, that's Nobody will try any, no one will try anything oh. new. They'll be scared to do things. Absolutely. They'll be scared to try different stuff. And you get stagnation. And then it's like, why are we doing well, we're only doing it this way because it's the way we've done it before. And I don't want to mess something right. And so like what I try and tell people is like, go do things, try things, right? And then if you make mistakes, it's okay. Just don't make the same one again. <laughs> yeah. Here's and, here's my, and that's here's really it. Hand. Like that's like that's the here's, only way to one other part. There's one other part. I'd like the mistakes to not cost me so much money that I care. That's yeah. the other part. I mean, but, sure. but, but I mean, and that number, that number has changed. I mean, if it's, you know, it, you got to think about the gain. Well, absolutely. As Back a in the garage, you wouldn't even yeah. have that money to pay. You know, at, 
as a marketer, as someone who's been selling things online since there was barely an online, the thing that I say to people all the time is I have a lot of opinions. I've been doing this for over 30 years. I just don't care what any of them are. The only thing I want to do is test them as quickly and inexpensively as possible. I had some the other day where I spent, I don't know, it was like 50 bucks and found out that a brilliant idea of mine does not work at all. And I was so happy. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was really, I mean, well, that was important. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing is there. Like it's, it, this. oh man, there's like a, well, not like on three different things. Anyway, it doesn't matter who's, it doesn't matter what's right. It just matters that it's right. That we find you know it. You know what I mean? And that, that's exactly, exactly. You know, it just matters that it's right. It doesn't matter whose idea it was. It doesn't matter right. what the answer is. It just needs to be the right answer. And, uh, and that, that led me to, there's this quote, I don't know. We'll say Ben Franklin because who the fuck knows anyway, <laughs> but it's something like, uh, um, and also I'm, I'm not going to, it's not going to be like verbatim, but it's, I'm like, it's, uh, it's amazing what people can accomplish when they don't care who gets credit. Yeah, 100%. One of my favorite things about um, our company is that there's no one here who's precious. No one's trying to be the winner so that they get the gold star so that whatever. We all sit down and we figure it out. And whenever we land on something, we don't care where it came from. And it literally, you know, we've had product ideas from people who work in the warehouse and customer service and from our product team and our product team does not care. I will say, and he may hear this, that I've come up with ideas that I presented to our chief product officer where he sort of pats me on the head and like thinks that it's completely ridiculous. And within cute, 20, even. Well, and within 24 <laughs> hours, he back. Yeah, he does that. And within 24 hours, he comes back with a better version of what I just, you know, inspired. The name of our company, Zero Shows. Well, we had an mm -hmm. expensive marketing agency who came up with a name. I'm going to spell it for you. Ready? X-O-I-C-S. I, yeah, I'm, I'm against paying people who've had one Blink. thing. Uh, yeah. I have no idea. But here's the thing. When they said that, they tried to explain how, what was, how it was a great name. And I was going, no, 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 not at all. Um, and two days later, I'm, I'm right after track practice. I'm sitting in my car thinking, you know, that was a bad name, but I like the idea of something starting with an X. And then I came up with zero. And they got all mad yeah. at me. And I said, I don't care. I'm the one who thought up the final idea. I would have never done it without the bad idea that you gave me. I'm happy so to Actually, we talk about that all the time. We tell people, like, sometimes on purpose. I'm like, hey, let's hear some bad ideas, right? Like, tell me all the bad ones, right? And, and a lot of times I'll have some ideas, some spark, whatever. And I actually, I try not to flesh it out too much. Like, right. I put the idea down and maybe, like, one or two, if, like, I keep having, like, little, like, uh, details about it, I'll, like, put those down. But then I try not to think about it too much. Because I don't want to get too attached yeah. to this. I like, you know, because in my head, like, oh, I got it all worked out. And then you go and you like tell somebody and they're like, well, what if we just did this part of it different? And you're like, well, yeah, that's better, but that's not my idea. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah, we don't, we that's, don't not, that's not what I formed out here. So like, I try not to, to fully form things too much because then it's easy to get attached to them if you think, you know, so it's. And then it's funny, you go to present it and you're confused that no one's like totally agreeing with you. And so, well, yeah, because you've been thinking about this for three days. They've been thinking about it for three minutes. Right. Like, of course, they're not sure if it's a good idea, you know? And so, yeah, I try the ideas and then, okay. And then I start off like, all right, this isn't even a half-baked idea. This is like a still <laughs> fucking putting the cookie dough together idea. You know, <laughs> you know like I'm gathering the ingredients. Not even quote, like, and like, here's something like this, right? And then yeah. you kind of like go through a little bit. And then like, what do you guys think? And in the end, every single time, the final idea is so much better and sometimes entirely exactly. different. But exactly. it's like thinking that you alone are smarter and have better ideas than a room full of people. Group is think. 
yeah. no way, you know? And, and, and look, sometimes you have to go out on a limb and you're going to take one idea, whether it came for you or someone else. And again, sure. put it to the test. We just did this. We had a big argument. Um, I don't know what that means. We had a bunch of people disagreeing about three different colors for a new shoe. And everyone was convinced that this one particular color was going to, you know, not going to make it. I said, why are you trying to guess what people are going to do? We, we can do research. I can actually do a really simple survey to a random group of human beings and to our investors and a bunch of people and get data in like a day. And the data came back and the shoe that everyone was convinced no one wanted, uh, number two choice. Right. You know, not number one, number two. It's like, no, we got to get that one. We got to buy a bunch of them. And everyone's like, oh. Um, when I was in film school, I had a teacher, her name was Corinne Jacker. And when she had a correction for some uh, thing in her in a script, she would say, here's a Jacker bad idea. And it was going to be something just to get you to think differently yeah. about what you had just done. It wasn't an idea you could implement. It was just to get you to go, oh. I, I do this thing sometimes. When, uh, actually, I did it for, I've done it for like a year straight at one point, but every day make a list of 10 ideas and they um and so they're on a certain topic and so you would say okay like for example like what's the next i mean whatever like you could be as generic as you want like what's the next shoe design that zero is going to do or what style of shoe is zero going to do next is going to be a hiking boot or whatever right but like what style of shoe and then you sit there and you just go um and make a list of 10 ideas and the first like three or four are easy because they're already floating around in there <laughs> right like you already have those and then you get there in the next three or four, you have to kind of like work on a little bit and you, some are really bad. Like idea five and six normally fucking terrible and you know it, but you're like, well, whatever. I got to come up 10 of them. So I'm going to write you down. And then, um, and then like seven or eight, you know, by the time, usually like idea eight or nine is like the one. Yeah. Right. Um, but it took you seven bad ideas yeah, or yeah. we'll say three obvious ones, four bad ones you know, to get to the, the good one. Right. And the number 10 is almost always a throwaway too. You're like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to reword one of the other ones because I'm done with it. You it's know, like it's working out a bit. Do it every day. A bit. It's just a practice yeah. in yeah. like, uh, coming up with ideas of like thinking, here's, thinking of ideas. Here's, here's a variation on that, that, um, I used to do with somebody take, pick a, have someone select or give you a, a random object and, or just tell you one. And you have to think of as many, um, off label uses of that object as possible. And so somebody mm -hmm. handed me a, um, uh, it always ends with bus stuff. <laughs> it all, usually starts with bus stuff and ends with bus stuff. <laughs> yeah. It usually starts and ends with yeah. bus stuff. Right. Somebody, somebody handed me, I, I'm only remembering this one, um, uh, wooden clothespin. And, um, one of the ideas that I came up with, I said, Oh, you make a really big one. And it's a seesaw for lonely people. <laughs> That's pretty good. I, that's funny. That rem I know that we got we got to wrap it up here. Yeah, we got to wrap it up. There's this thing I'm going to promote this product that I don't even know, is, but I think it's called Pilgrim Soul Journal or something, right? But I think it like has on Instagram. I know someone that bought it, but the whole thing is it says on the cover like use this when you're high, and uh, there's just all these like create. It's a journal prompt, but they're creative, right? Yeah. And so that is that type of stuff. They actually have like road signs that are make no sense. You know, and they're like, what is this? Like, what are these road signs for? Like, come up with five ideas or five, what five things you mean, right? Oh, um, and then another one will just be like, whatever, like, write a silly song about a, a panda that fell in love or some shit, whatever. You know? Anyway, but some are, but it's, it's the whole journal of like creative prompts, and they, you know, recommend doing it while stoned. Um, but you could do it while sober also, I guess. Um, when, anyway, I thought it was interesting, and like the, the object thing made me think of that. Yeah, well, given what we already experienced with yours and my rhyming rapping skills, 
the the song one, it, I would just skip to the next page. Abysmal. <laughs> um, yeah, we know you got to go eat cake and do arts and crafts or whatever the hell you got planned. <laughs> we appreciate you coming on. We love oh my god, you. guys, we're big advocates of the shoes. Thanks. Steven, had a really nice time. Really this nice was this you. was a complete blast. I wish we could, we had more time to just keep going forever. Is this, is this about how most podcasts or interviews you do go? This was way more sedate and uh, didn't mention butt stuff as often. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to guess. I was going to guess, ah, I probably used to more butt talk. Here's, for the listeners, I had a 15-minute meeting planned with Steven last week. We talked for two hours straight. Not about the business <laughs> at all. Uh, yeah, yeah. Solely, solely, but hey, <laughs> hey, look. I mean, look. If if uh, if for some strange reason people find this in any way entertaining, we can always do version two. Oh, 100%. that'd be great. And actually, Dean um, is normally on here. Uh, he's my partner in Caffeine Kilos, and he he would love to talk to you. He's all into he's all into this stuff. And no, let's do it. Um, yeah, it'd be great. And and then, right, and then I can really then I can ask you questions like, do you lift? So yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way i'm not these aren't underwear these are shorts i'm wearing uh -huh. yeah. Around the yeah sure dude you don't need to explain you're in a hotel room we know what happens there just, and you're jaundice you're like you're wearing pants at all <laughs> you don't even have electrolytes in you you're just so jaundice and just walking around like richard gear <laughs> okay right. well i'm gonna put some pants on and drink some electrolytes i'll see you guys later that's um, perfect great. guys right, this has been a total total pleasure thank you brother